Okay, have you ever been offended? Like, has someone ever said something so inconsiderate or tactless that you maybe still to this day feel a slight sting when you recall their words? In fact, speaking of offense, I really like how Elder Bednar described it in his 2000 talk about offense when he said, it's clumsy, embarrassing, unprincipled, and mean-spirited things that are said to us. And then he says that this occurs in the interactions with other people and that, quote, such an event will surely happen to each and every one of us, and it certainly will occur more than once, unquote. Many of you are probably shaking your head yes right now. Well, today's episode of Unnamed Women from the New Testament is about a woman who experienced something offensive, and what she did about it will surprise you. Welcome to the Unnamed Women of the New Testament special bonus series from the Sunday on Monday podcast brought to you by LDS Living and Deseret Bookshelf Plus. So if you're wondering about Sunday on Monday, it's actually a weekly podcast, a Come Follow Me podcast. It's where we take the Come Follow Me lesson for the week and we really dig into the scriptures together. And this is a special bonus series where we get to talk about women in scripture. But if you want to know more about the podcast itself, click in the link in our description or go to ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday and sign up for a free 30-day trial of Deseret Bookshelf Plus. Now, my favorite thing about the Sunday on Monday podcast and this one is that I get to invite friends to join me each week to discuss the scriptures. And today, my guest and co-host for this whole series this year is Camille Frank Olson. Hello, Camille. Hello. This I love this woman. She's paid the price. And we've invited another friend to join us today. And we have Sharon Staples. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Camille. Good to be with you both. Oh, this makes my, I cannot stop smiling because I love and admire you two so much. And I just knew I had to have both of you on for this episode. It's pretty heavy. It, it is a heavy episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and your insights are going to be just perfect. So I just want you to kind of think about, I, I started out with this idea of being offended and I want everyone to kind of be in this space because I don't know anyone who hasn't been offended, right? Have either two of you been offended before? Oh, absolutely. On many occasions. <laughs> Is there a story that comes to mind for either one of you? Uh, no, it's just a, it's just a common occurrence that can happen. Um, I did learn, however, how to defend against offense. And I'll, I'll bring that up oh. when I talk about what we're doing here today. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that. What about you, Camille? I have been offended and I'm embarrassed to say that I have <laughs> because so many times when you look back at it, you think you'd like to have been more mature and let it roll off, but it hurts. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to mention specifics because it gets sometimes too close to home. But yes, I understand that. Mm -hmm. I will say for me, when I was writing this and thinking about this story of our unnamed woman, I did have a very real experience. I'm not going to name names, but I will tell you this. What was said to me was so hurtful that it was the first time in my life I've actually ever had a visceral reaction to the words. Like I stewed over it for 24 hours and I woke up the next morning so sick, I couldn't stop throwing up. I, I mean, oh I've never, ever, I, it's crazy when people say that they throw up from anxiety and mm-hmm. different life situations. And I'd never understood that until this moment. And it really, it had made me ill what was said about me. And so I, like, I think about this and I go, oh my gosh, yes, I have been offended. And like you said, Camille, I look back at the situation. It could have been handled so much differently and had a much better outcome. And I just, it was interesting because my red elder Bednar's talk, he said about offense, he says, when we believe or say we have been offended, 
we usually mean we feel insulted, mistreated, snubbed, or disrespected. That was 100% how I was feeling. He summed up everything I had in my body at that moment and just such sadness. So do you relate with those words, mistreated, insulted, snubbed? It's exactly what it is. Um, and, and misunderstood, you know, mm-hmm. misjudged. Yes, that's a great way. I was misjudged 100% mm-hmm. in my experience. I think that's why it made me so sick because I'm like, I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. They got me wrong. Oh, yeah, misjudged for sure. <laughs> so we've invited Sharon because Sharon has a PhD in educational psychology. And so I said, Sharon, I want you just to come on and talk to us about the nature of offense and what you've learned in all your years of study and teaching and everything. Talk to us about that real quick. Well, it boils down to about five words, and that's it. That's all there is. And that's when we are offended, it usually means that our self-concept, who we are, what we believe about ourselves, what we've centered our life on, our value system, has been challenged. Someone has said something about us that is foreign to our personality, to our character traits, to our whatever, who we think we are. And um, it, it usually is they someone violates our norms, what, what we believe to be true, what we believe to be life's experiences, what we believe to be our life's experiences, our personality, who we are, what we're all about. When they attack that, then we become offended. And what what happens is we then begin to doubt, well, golly, maybe I am selfish, or maybe I am snooty, or maybe I am rude, or maybe I am, you know, whatever, or maybe I'm not as faithful as I should be. You know, we, we start questioning that, and then we take offense, and then we get defensive and say, oh, I'm not like that, or sometimes we throw up, whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> the situation may be. So it's 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 not a um a major psychological disorder to be offended it's a common occurrence for most people especially when their sense of self is tweaked and they mm. say mm, wait a minute and you start questioning you know am i really like that or am i not like that so it's 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 not something that that you we can write a book on you know, it's just a very simple experience that happens to us. And when you asked, have you ever been offended? I wanted to say yes, until I learned not to be. Mm. And and there are two adages that have helped me over the last few years that I've really, really tried to cling to. And one is, what you think of me is none of my business. <laughs> So you can think whatever you want about me because I'm centered. I, I know who I am. I, I, I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. And I am centered. I, I have a self-concept that's solid, and it's based on reason and faith. So when people attack me, I think, well, they're, they've misunderstood or yeah. they're unhappy or they're so that I, I do not take to heart what they say. Of course, if it were a bishop or a state president or the prophet and he says, you need to be doing this, then I would reevaluate someone who I value highly. But I would still question if that person really understood what I'm all about and who I'm all about. So that's one adage. 
what you think of me is none of my business. You go right ahead and think all that. I'm going to be as solid and true and faithful and centered as I possibly can. And then the other one that we toss around all the time is be yourself because everyone else is taken. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. And I like that. And I thought, well, I just have to be who I am and count on um, my knowledge, my intuition, my faith, my understanding, and past experiences where people have confirmed who I am. They have Mm -hmm. acknowledged that, yes, Sharon says she's this, and she really is. So I I count on that as well as what I've learned in myself with, of course, with a lot of prayer and a lot of temple tending and all those other kinds of things that we do to try to establish who we want to be and how we want to represent ourselves to the world. And when someone challenges that, I think it's good for each of us to say, okay, I can see where they may think that, Mm -hmm. but I don't have to believe it. Yes. So that that's the simple, you know, I, I don't have a, a big psychological treatise on it. Um, you didn't just, even need one. That was perfect. Well, well, there isn't really a psychological treatise on all of that, because um, uh, especially when we get into talking about the unnamed woman in, in Matthew, we're, we're going to apply those two adages mm-hmm. to her and what how she responded. Um, so we, when we're offended, we get defensive. And then I think if we are centered, if we are who we think we are, we consider their comment, and then we move on. Well, Sharon, then let's do it. Let's do exactly what you challenged. Let's apply these to the woman we're going to talk about in Matthew chapter 15. So let's let's turn there. Matthew chapter 15. And the story is short. It's just verses 21 through 28. And we're going to tell this story. Here's the little background that you want to know. In verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Am I saying that right, Camille? Mm-hmm. Tyre and Sidon. Okay, perfect. Now, this is what you need to know. This is the only mention of the Savior ever going to this place because it was Gentile territory. He purposefully went there seeking rest because it was a safe place where he didn't have to worry about having being thronged by crowds and Jews who had heard of him. So, The Savior's mission and work was among the house of Israel and the Jews, not the Gentiles. Okay, now now that we know that, it's worth noting that earlier in Jesus's ministry, you can cross-reference verse 21 with Mark chapter 3, verse 8, because in that verse, it tells us that many people had heard of the amazing things and miracles that Jesus did, and then it says that there was a great multitude of people who followed Jesus, and then it tells us where these people came from in Mark chapter 3, verse 8. They were from Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond Jordan, and those about Tyre and Sidon. So some scholars believe there may have been a connection here to this woman and that crowd. Like, was she in that crowd when she heard the Savior, when she knew about him? Or was someone she knew there and came back and told her about it? Somehow she was made aware of Jesus and the miracles that he could perform. So this is fabulous. And I really like this. We do not have a name for her, but we know in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, it says, and behold, a woman of Canaan. Now you can also cross-reference this with the story in Mark chapter 7 verses 24 through 30, because it's also going to tell us she's not just a woman of Canaan, but she's also Greek origin, Syrophoenician. So that's oftentimes how she's represented as the Syrophoenician woman. 
Now, I've invited Camille now to tell us the story about this Syrophoenician woman, her nationality, her predicament, and her faith. Hit it, Camille. Boy, I love how you tell stories, too. I'm so excited. And I just want to just clarify, calling her a woman of Canaan is, is a little anachronistic in the sense that that was used Old Testament language. And Matthew brings that up. It seems like the Syrophoenicians would be descendants of the Canaanites. And so perhaps he's using that. But the time of New Testament from Syria, Phoenicia, there in the area of Lebanon today, that's where you would find Tyre and Sidon and a lot of little villages there. Um, but that's where she is. And while we're just it, you brought up Mark 7. I just wanted to make sure we see, and it's only Mark that gives us this in the Joseph Smith translation. Yes. Um, because we, it's just so unusual. Why would Jesus go up there? Because his mission is to the house of Israel. And remember when he sends out the apostles, go only to the house of Israel. Um, and so why is he there? I think this is an interesting one. Verse 24 of Mark 7. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house. And then you come down to the footnote. And would that no man should come unto him. It seems like he doesn't want to be interrupted, that perhaps he's going up there to spend time with his apostles where he can really teach them, as you said, Tammy, without the multitudes interrupting. But he could not deny them, for he had compassion upon all men. The idea he wanted to be alone with them, but if something comes up, there is something in him that just says, I cannot turn my back on others. But that's what makes this story so interesting. Because you'd come back now to Matthew 15. We see in verse 22, a woman of Cana or Syrophoenician woman came out of these coasts. This is the Mediterranean coast and cried unto him. I mean, she's kind of making a scene saying, Mm -hmm. have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. The fact that she calls him Lord and son of David, again, gives evidence that she knows something about him. This is a a title of respect that the Jews would say. This son of David, this is the promised one from the lineage of David. And we find out something else. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So I think you think of four different things. This woman just seems to be such an outcast from the Jews. She's a woman. She's a Syrophoenician woman, another race. She's another religion. And her daughter is vexed with the devil and would make anyone associated with her kind of an outcast as well. Mm-hmm. And and you notice how many times, it, beginning of the first word in verse 23, the first word in verse 24, the first word in 26, it's but it's like every yes. single <laughs> she comes up with something, but Jesus doesn't answer the way we expect him to. She cries to him, but verse 23, he answered her not a word. He ignores her. Mm-hmm. And the disciples are saying, send her away for she crieth after us. But he answered, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Her response, she, I think how if easily offended, 
what she's heard of him, what she thinks of him, he's not responding the way he should be. If he is the son of David, if he is Lord and master, why is he ignoring her? But she worships him and cries out, Lord, help me. But he answered her, it is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. What is he likening her to? Right there. This is hard. So hard. It is really hard. And especially when, you know, Jews refer to Gentiles very often as dogs, as these wild, uh, unclean creatures that do not belong there. You know, I'm with the Jews. They are, they are everything that the Jews are not. And her answer is, it, it is to me, it's as if that she's saying she can see the future and knowing what she knows about Jesus. Yes, he's saying, I only go to the house of Israel, but mm-hmm. she can see this is not going to be forever. Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. It's like she's saying, yep, I'm not saying I belong right there at the table, but I'm like the family pet that is beloved. Can't I at least have a crumb? I mean, talk about breaking your heart. She's not asking for the full feast. She says, isn't there just a crumb for me? Mm -hmm. And now after all of this, Jesus answers, oh, woman, great is thy faith. I can almost hear him say, I've never seen such great faith even among all of Israel. Because she gets a different treatment from him, and yet she's still there. And he then tells her, even as thou wilt, thy daughter um, was made whole from that very hour. Um, Without even her being or him being near his daughter, he says she's healed from this very hour. Um, it's a wonderful little reminder of an incredible manifestation of faith and in circumstances which are not explained in the text. She doesn't need an explanation. She will follow the Savior no matter what. So yes. beautiful. Why do you think Matthew included this story? I mean, it's pretty harsh and and it portrays the Savior in a less than... It's not like him at all. And he really is calling her a dog. And there's no other way to paint this picture. You can't say that in some cultures, dog was a term of endearment and a best friend, your man's best friend. Like, no, it really is hard. And, and I, I mean, the, the nicest thing I've read about that word dog is that it was used in terms of those who are not yet matured or prepared or worthy to receive the things of the kingdom. But still, yeah, even that's not the nicest thing because she was ready to receive the things of the kingdom. In fact, until that time, no one has ever said Jesus included that it would ever go beyond the house of Israel. Yes. So why do you think Matthew includes this story? Could have so easily been omitted. Well, if, if you want a complete picture of Jesus and his healings, you have to include it and you have to include it on the basis of faith, because that's what he's all about, is faith in him. And I think Matthew maybe was aware of that, and that this is something that we all need to hear in our current situation, to not be offended 
when God doesn't answer our prayers. Like, you know, the other day, I a, a, a dog attacked my dog, and I had prayed that we would be safe on our walk. And when we got home, I said, God, where were you? I prayed that you would protect my dog and nothing, no harm or accident would befall us. And you didn't come through. Where were you? And that was my first thought was that, you know, he, but it was the same thought as hers. I still went to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still said, thou art my Lord, thou art my God. And I know that thou art with me and with my dog and this happened. And so almost immediately that, that accusatory um sense of God didn't protect my dog turned into God, I know you're there. I have faith in you. I love you. And, and even the crumbs, I'll take the crumbs. She wasn't killed. She wasn't maimed. She got well, you know, so it's, I, it's applicable mm-hmm. in situations today. I think that I think you're hit it right on. I think that's true. I thought of another too. This is Matthew, who is a Jew writing to Jews who uh-huh. did get the full feast. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if Matthew tells more detail than Mark did of the incident. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matthew was actually there, most likely, could very likely have seen this. But I think what he might be saying, um, there are Gentiles that show more unwavering faith Uh, uh than so many Jews that get have received the full feast. She has only received crumbs so far, but she's not, she's not waiting on the sidelines until she gets all of the, all of her questions answered that she's saying, I am not quite sure if I'm ready to commit. She knows there is no other hope for her daughter. I don't know if she recognizes it for her too, but I think through all of this, she is receiving ministering and blessing and healing um, as she interacts with him. I think it's saying um, our faith may be tried by the Lord himself. Yeah. Um, And, and until our, Faith is tried. We do not know what it means to be a true disciple. And here's an example for us. Hmm. I think very often um, it's Luke that brings up the Gentiles who are the good examples rather than the Jews. But in this case, Matthew does. And I think it's saying before you start getting all offended and backing away because you don't understand what this Jesus is saying, Look at this woman and look what she gained because she refused to be offended. Yes. She believed in herself. She believed in her own faith. Yeah. She had faith in her faith. I, that's to me is oh, I like that. that's centered. She had faith in her faith. She was centered. And I, I think what you said, Camille, was just beautiful. Hold on. I'm writing that in my scriptures. Because she was centered. She had faith in her faith. It does plant a little seed that might be Matthew also, you know, preparing people for the future. My guess is when he's writing this, it is after the gospel. It's definitely after Peter has received his revelation that the, the gospel does go to the Gentiles and they're actually succeeding. But here's a story that helps them to see into the future, kind of preparing that fishes of every kind are going to come into the gospel net. And look at the types of people that are going to be among those different types of fishes. 
some of the strongest, best disciples ever. What I found striking, Camille, was I never considered the buts in the story. And that that is striking to me because in verse 22, I read some scholarship on this verse, and they say when when she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, that is a form of prayer. Mm -hmm. So she's coming to the Savior, already praying to him for help of what she needs. And for me, the buts are an example of pleading for your own cause before the Lord, like having a real discussion with Heavenly Father when you're praying, when you're saying, here's what I need. And Heavenly Father might give you a different answer, but you could, I love this idea of engaging in prayer with our Father and having, like you said, Sharon, we're centered, we have faith in our faith, and really being able to have a conversation with Him. That's what I got out of this. But, but what about this? But, mm-hmm. and, and then she did get, I, I wonder what would have happened if when she said the but and the dog part and she'd been like, nah, you're right and walked away. Mm-hmm. It would have changed the whole story. And because she had faith in her faith, what an incredible woman. Ah, I'm just now struck with all this. I'm so thankful you pointed yeah. out the buts. That, because yeah, even in verse really 27, because yeah. verse 27 starts with and, but and you could put a but there. Mm-hmm. It could be, but she said, you're right, Lord, and give me some crumbs from the table. Ah, that was really good. I like that. And I just think it's just such an important lesson that we don't expect everything that we will. What happens when we paralyze ourselves from moving forward because mm-hmm. we don't have the full picture? Yes. I mean, think of Nephi when he says, I know not yeah. the answer to all things, but this much I know that God loves me. And and with that, we can move forward. We don't know. And and there could be all kinds of challenges. Yep, another dog attacks our dog. Yes. But where else would we go? Because he only has the lot words of eternal life. There is no plan B. This is it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and how many of us can get discouraged, offended, mm-hmm. frustrated. It's not what I imagined. This is not the Jesus I was wishing. If this is him or this is his church, then I guess I don't belong in it because it's not what I expected. Mm-hmm. And without knowing the full picture, we walk away. And what, what do we miss? What do we lose? what happens to her daughter look what happens to her and i just can't help but think i don't know how many years it's going to be before the apostles are going to be right up there someone missionaries paul someone is going to be up there preaching the gospel in her village you know it's going to happen yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and what has this woman done in in preparing the soil so when they come there's yeah, some it's amazing. great great things that are going to be happening there because She didn't walk away. Well, let's read this quote from Elder Bednar in his great talk about being offended. And then I'll finish with one question that I have for both of you. Sharon, will you read this quote? Sure. As sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we have been blessed with the gift of moral agency, the capacity for independent action and choice. Endowed with agency, you and I are agents And we primarily are to act and not just be acted upon. 
To believe that someone or something can make us feel offended, angry, hurt, or bitter diminishes our moral agency and transforms us into objects to be acted upon. As agents, however, you and I have the power to act and to choose how we will respond to an offensive or hurtful situation. Thank you. Amen, Brother Bednar. <laughs> yes. That idea of action, and, and you go back to the story, all she did was act. Mm-hmm. She acted, acted, acted for the benefit of her child, ultimately herself, and then us. Her actions are going to benefit us. And again, how different the story would have played out if she had just walked away and been hurt. Right. Oh. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question because, Camille, you put this at the end of your book, and I just I love the way you have us think about the stories of the women that you shared with us. And this was the perfect question. How does the example of this woman strengthen your resolve to refuse to take offense from what others say about you? She had faith in her faith, and I have to have faith in my faith. And I have to hmm, think that what you think of me is none of my business, and I have agency, and I can act. (laughs) I'll tell you what I thought of, and it's just like three chapters later in Matthew, a verse that I have, I've often thought how the world would change, how our neighborhoods would change, how the church would change if we actually believed this verse and practiced it. It's Matthew 18, verse 15. And Jesus teaches, Moreover, if thy brother, or could I say, or a sister, shall trespass against thee. If I could say this another way, if your sister offends you, does it say, go and tell everyone in your neighborhood, everyone in your ward, what (laughs) they have done against you, and they'll make you feel better and remind you that you're a wonderful person and that person was doing the wrong thing. No, he says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. I have tried this. It's an interesting thing. I'm offended. He doesn't say, if you offend someone, go find that person and apologize. He says, if you've been offended, go to the person and tell them between you and that person alone. What I have found um, is that that person very rarely, I mean, I don't know. I can't think of one where they intended to offend me. Mm -hmm. I've had someone come to me directly and say, you said this, and this is how it made me feel. I go, oh, I had no idea that. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a gift because immediately you can start that process of repentance and it's between you and that person and the Lord, and you can clear it up. You don't have to go to the whole ward and make (laughs) amends. You get, you can happen right there. And, and I learn I need to be more careful when I say something because it can be misconstrued. It can sound hurtful, but I, when it happens to me, I give them an opportunity to apologize. And I do gain a sister. I do gain a brother. It's a, I think it it is genius. The savior goes on in the next verse to say, if they won't listen to you, you can bring others along. So you have some others to try to help to mediate that. But there is just something saying, let's clear this up. Don't harbor it. 
let's give a chance for this to be cleared up. And I, I just think how much, how many bad feelings there are around because we just don't communicate. Mm. Yeah. How it made me feel. And I think the fact that you, what you pointed out, Tammy, this woman, that's a conversation with the Lord. And if rather than just saying, up, oh, He's forgotten me. She sticks with it until she understands. Right. She didn't walk away. Mm-hmm. And we can do that with each other, not sure. walk away. It's hard. It's hard. Oh. And I tell you, it's hard to go up to someone and say, you said this. And let me tell you how it made me feel, because I can feel pretty petty when I say that. Yeah. But it is an incredible conversation. of the time, I would say they never intended to be offensive. I give them a gift to give them a chance to apologize. So I I love that verse. I'm so grateful you pointed those two verses out because going back to my story about me being offended and being physically ill, I I did not do these two verses. I went and told the free world. Like I I found mm-hmm. as many people as I could to gather in my corner. That's what and, we do. It's oh, making you feel gosh. immediately better. Yes, and it. <laughs> you know what? I mean, to my fault. I mean, I I mean, I'm I was really good at it. I got oh, so yeah. many people on my team and in my corner, and for weeks. I would say three or four weeks went by where I just was so angry and I wanted him to hurt as much as I was hurting. And I had a real and awesome, amazing experience now with these two verses, because the advice was you need to go talk to this person. And I had been praying and I fasted and I went to the temple. And as I was sitting in the temple, this is exactly what came to my mind. And I went and said this to the person because I called a meeting with this person. I sat in their office and I said to them, I just hope that on judgment day, God is more merciful and kind with the two of us than we have been with each other. Oh, great. Good for you. That is Good what came you. to my mind. Well, listen, it was a hard, it was hard to get there because well, I was sure so it was. Of course. But I remember learning that lesson that I had, if I had just taken care of it at the beginning, because it, it got ugly and it didn't need to. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful that I learned that moment. Like, yeah, God's going to be a lot kinder. I hope. I don't want him to judge me the way I've judged you for the past three weeks because I've been real, real mean. <laughs> oh, so this idea, it's so easy to get offended. And if yeah. we can just stop and remember what we've learned today, stop, get centered. And, and Sharon, I wrote this because I really appreciate when you said you have the five words from what I understand. You said the five words were our self-concept has been challenged. Mm-hmm. Recognize your self-concept has been challenged and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Get centered and then go talk to the person and, and remember the buts in your story. That's where faith lives. Like have a conversation with your heavenly father, ask for help. And um, this, this story of this woman goes far beyond just being called a dog and having her daughter healed. I think it blesses all of our lives. So, exactly. Yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing, Tammy. That's mm-hmm. that, that helps because like Camille said, and you said, and, and I will confirm it is very difficult to face ourselves before we face that person and say, you know, this is what happened and I'm sorry. That takes so much courage. But if you have faith in who you think you are, then you can approach that person and say, you know, this is my concept of what's going on and da 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 da. And, and like, you know, like you said, 99.9% of the time, they will have not been aware that they offended us. They will not yeah. know that they actually offended us. And when we bring that to their attention in a kind way, like you have done, then it then the then it can be resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, I even think those times when it was intended, it helps them to, and it helps me when I do it, you know, let's just put it around the other way that I'm the offender. It gives me the chance to be able to recognize the aftermath of my desire to offend. Yes, I get to see the fruit uh, and and the damage I've caused that that feelings that I have created in someone else, and that I think, mm, do I want that? Um, again, repentance is when you intend it, as well as when you don't intend it. And mm-hmm. His forgiveness is available if we'll repent. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, both of you. What a fun discussion that was about the Syrophoenician woman. And I hope everyone who's listening, I hope your takeaways were as great as ours. That was a great, wow. I love her story. So good. So good. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Unnamed Women of the New Testament. The Sunday on Monday study group is a Desert Bookshelf Plus original brought to you by LDS Living. It's written and hosted by me, Tammy Uzalak Hall. And today, our incredible study group participants were Camille Frank Olson and Sharon Staples. Our podcast is produced by Colwa Singer and me. It is edited by Haley Hyam and recorded and mixed by Mix at Six Studios. And our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time. And please remember, don't take offense and go and talk to the Lord because you're his favorite. <laughs>